Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Welcome back. It's uh, time for a weather update. It's raining. Yeah, I was thinking, Ben, <laughs> what we might want to do is frame our weather updates in a paranormal way. Ah. So I was thinking... That's a good idea. Good weather for water-based cryptids. Oh, you're right. It is a good weather for water-based cryptids. Um, some kelpies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good kelpie weather. Yeah, it we is probably good have to get. Weather. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, on a map, it would be like seven kelpies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we could have our own scale, like a you know, forget Fahrenheit and and rain precipitation. We've got the kelpie scale. We could do the uh, what else could we do? The demonic hell heat scale. We can we can this this has got legs. I think it has got legs. Oh, talking of the uh, the demonic heat scale, my brother-in-law who lives in. Italy has just flown back for the weekend just to get some respite. It sounds awful out oh, there. They've really got a hot, li- right? like a hundred demons. Yeah, it's on the hundred demon scale out there. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that aren't demonic, though, which is a terrible segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you to Evan Diamond. What a brilliant name uh, for being uh, for joining us on the Patreon program. Oh, he's a diamond geezer. He certainly is. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that, but there's no, there's no getting no, around. No, I had to go. Yeah, it's a wonderful name. It's yeah. a wonderful name. Growing up with um, Dominic Diamond on the telly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always just thought such a good name. I reckon I'd have got a lot further in school if I was called Diamond. Yeah. Well, um, thanks. Thanks very much for becoming a patron. And I, I saw on the Patreon website he re- he left us some really nice words so we really do appreciate all those who are joining the patreon and uh, yeah we've started putting up a a little bit of kind of background early news information on there and uh, our if you want to listen to the podcast ahead of time we're putting it up there ad free as soon as we finished editing it um so yeah, if uh, if you're thinking about becoming a patron, a it helps us out, and b we're trying to give some stuff back as well. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. So we were talking <clears throat> about the weather, Ben, um, which it, and it is it's typical UK summer holiday weather today, isn't it? It's it po- is. Oh yes, yes. This is exactly how I remember all the summer holidays. Um, yeah. Fishing ships in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> Dad saying we better stay in the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And um, it, it, it was the summer holidays, uh, the the vacation, I should say, for the States, the summer vacation that started me thinking what to do for today's episode. Because I was thinking about, you know, you get those TV shows, don't you? Holidays from hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Death at the Death at the Seaside as well. That's a true crime one. Yeah. So I thought haunted holidays literally from hell was something we might want to have a look at. And in a weird coincidence, Ben or Jock, uh, as we like to say, before I started researching for content, I came across a story this week in a tabloid newspaper that kind of loosely tied into my theme. I say loosely. Um, it was more this story made me laugh and so much that I thought I've got to cram it into the show. So I've loosely crammed it into this theme. If I hope you'll forgive me. Okay, that's fine. And when you hear the title of the article, Ben you'll know why I was immediately drawn to it. The headline was, Woman Divorces Ghost Husband in Harrowing Exorcism After Marilyn Monroe Obsession. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that headline is so extra. There's, there's so much to unpack in there. There really is so um, much to unpack. So, what, div- so to get rid of the ghost husband 
she exercises him. Doesn't just ask him to leave, actually exercises him. Yeah, yeah. So the article says, a woman who says she married the ghost of a Victorian soldier revealed they're now divorced. Okay, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's enough of a tease to get you going okay yeah i can see why you included it yeah, yeah. so uh the woman is named i think you pronounce it bracada she's aged 40 she claims she met in adverting cobbers devilishly handsome soldier eduardo when he burst into a room on a stormy night devilishly handsome get it I, the 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 byliner has had so much fun with this. Really, really. Now the spirit announced his love for the singer songwriter, which led to a turbulent love affair. Things took an unexpected turn when Ricarda announced they were to marry in a chapel on Halloween in 2022. Shortly afterwards, she was frustrated when her spooky husband got too drunk on their honeymoon to Barry Island in Wales. <laughs> Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> as the relationship progressed, Eduardo also became increasingly possessive of his new wife. Bricarda claimed she became irritated by the ghost's alleged unsettling fascination with Marilyn Monroe. I, I love the fact the journalist has had to put alleged into that yeah. statement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure the ghost is going to sue. I'd, oh, maybe he's casting aspersions on the claim that it was the unsettling fascination oh, with Marilyn yeah, Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that isn't grounds for divorce. Yeah. yeah. The soldier's supposed crush on the late actor kicked off on the wedding day where he spotted Monroe in the chapel. That, that also got me thinking, Ben. Like, is this what ghosts do? You know what I mean? You're sitting there one day and someone says, Eduardo, what are you up to today? And he's like, well... Um, I'm getting married, and then Marilyn goes, "Oh, I'd love to go to that wedding." You know what I mean? I mean, what's going on there? I, I was going to say, what what is she doing there? Why didn't he <laughs> speak to her? How does the wife know that he was he was talking to her? I mean, it, in my mind, it's somewhere between sixth sense <laughs> and a really vivid blue cheese dream. Yeah. Well, there there were clues. Um, from Bacarda. Um Eduardo started to disappear for days on end. <laughs> he started to disappear? Yeah. The we, ghost started to disappear. Okay. And he came back smelling of Monroe's iconic no, perfume. He didn't. Chanel he number didn't. nine. No, he didn't. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> well, you mean you, there wasn't the whiff of Chanel number five coming in? <laughs> Feeling drained by it all. Ricarda decided to consult a psychic to learn how to assert her boundaries. Setting boundaries infuriated Eduardo, which led him to allegedly haunt his wife with the sound of a screaming baby. I mean, that is one of the most horrific of hauntings, don't you think? That's not a very nice thing to do to your actual wife. Yeah. Recently, she returned to the chapel where they, were pre- where they previously exchanged vows, this time to exercise him. Ricarda announced the split in her song, Just Another Anthem. She sings, Toss the bouquet to a bride a day. Celebrate the hate we invite to play. I'm divorcing the line of your decay. You've taken me to my knees. Let's play. Uh, I'm sure. Now, I was going to drop some audio in from the song on the podcast, but I don't want to infringe anybody's artistic copyright. Um... 
but we will post it on social media at TQM Podcast. Well worth a look. The music video and track is, uh, well, let's say, uh, it's something to behold. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> um, ben, you've, uh, you've seen the video. I particularly like the part where Bracada recreates her wedding day kiss with the invisible groom. <laughs> I particularly like the part where it, they've laid out a church with sort of chairs like it's an assembly at the last day of school <laughs> and they're panning... Well, that, that's not the, right, not the right word. They're, they're walking backwards with the camera trying to do an arty shot, but it just looks like a dad is filming his daughter yeah. at the end of fifth year. Uh, but the, the, it, it's her voice. Yeah. It's her voice. You know, there's that um, Mary... Uh, 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 the Shakespeare's sister yeah. song, yeah. and uh, you sort of it's all it's all high, and then it sort of breaks, and then the joke is it's like ma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is her the entire way through. I have to say as well, some of the acting in the video is uh, how do I put this politely? Powerful, isn't it? It's very powerful. Well, it suddenly brought um, tear to my eyes <laughs> and bile to my throat. That's that's for sure. I also wondered if there's going to be a sequel to this story as there was a Victorian pram that seemed to feature heavily. Um, I mean, that might be connected with the screaming baby that he haunted her with rather than some kind of conception that might be coming, but it did make me wonder. Well, let me tell you a little bit more. The singer met Eduardo, her ghost lover, when he burst into her bedroom uninvited one dark stormy night. Apparently he whispered, I love you, which left her shaking and trembling in bed. Despite the attraction, their love affair, a love affair soured after their honeymoon and Bricarda decided to split with the ghoul. She said, our relationship had always been turbulent from the beginning. There was no breakup conversation. I consulted a psychic medium to help me assert my boundaries over Eduardo and try to tame him, but it didn't work. Of course it didn't work. He's a free spirit, right? Uh, I mean, mean, he might not even exist. (laughs) That is true. She says he grew increasingly more aggressive and nasty, began to haunt me with the sound of a screaming baby. Uh, She knew the only way to get rid of him was for an exorcism. Ricardo added, I embarked on the harrowing process in the chapel that we got married in. After hours, he was finally purged from my system. I felt light and free and excited to be released of his troubled spirit. Since the exorcism, I haven't felt his presence or seen him. The whole energy shifted and life feels more light and joyful. I am quite adamant that I no longer want to be haunted by Eduardo, so his presence is no longer welcome in my life. So a happy ending, at least. Yeah, that's, I mean, if you marry a ghost... Yeah, you've got, to, you've got to take some of the consequences. This, this is the second story we've had like this. Do you remember we did one where I think someone went on holiday to Australia or somewhere and picked up a ghost? Yes. And he went off, didn't they live in Manchester or something? He went out clubbing all the time. And yeah, he was a pirate, I think. Yeah, and he brought his drunk friends home. And That's it, yeah. yeah. Similar story. Well, after she married a ghost, things started to go wrong for Bricada and her haunted honeymoon to Barry Island. Maybe she should have gone somewhere a bit more adventurous, Ben. And it's hard to think of a better place for a summer vacation than jumping in an RV or camper van and exploring the wilds, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> just each to their own. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not up for that, but yes, I can see how some would be, yes. 
Well, the next story uh, features one family and their idyllic dream holiday turned into a nightmare after their three-year-old encountered a ghostly apparition and helped the police solve a missing persons case. No way. I've got a little clip uh, from a news report, so have a listen to this. This morning, a California family's ghostly encounter could help solve a mystery. When the Gorba family went on a four-wheeling trip in the Sierra National Forest, their three-year-old son, Caden, started talking to someone who wasn't there. He was just in our car, and he was pointing out to a certain spot in the meadow. The family was at Shut Eye Peak, about 70 miles outside Fresno, when they stopped for lunch. Mom, Victoria, says Caden told them there was a woman close by. I got goosebumps. He says, she needs our help, but she's dead. And she, um, she's laying face down with her legs up, and she can't talk to me, but she's over there. We need to go help her. Caden's parents checked out the meadow, but saw nothing. He kept saying, trust me, trust me, Mom. And I was like, I trust you, bud. You know, I believe you 100%. Creeped out, the Gorbas said they headed back home. Caden's mom then posted their experience on social media. And that's when the Madera County Sheriff's Department reached out for more information. Turns out a woman went missing just over a year ago within five miles of where they were. A woman with a black shirt and blue hair. He describes down to blue hair. He said she has a black shirt, blue jeans, and blue hair, Mom. Detectives say Caden's description matched that of 53-year-old Sandra Hughes, who went missing in June 2020 after going camping alone. Caden was able to identify three out of four pictures of her. Detectives went back to the meadow with the Gorba family to investigate and so far found nothing. But the case remains open. If she was possibly a ghost looking for some help, I hope that he could have at least helped and maybe help the family find her. That four-wheeler the family used to drive up to the meadow is now for sale. They say they're too spooked to use it again. That's amazing. That is an amazing story, isn't it, Ben? It's, uh, I was a bit sceptical. Then the hair thing. The hair things are real because mm. because it's not a normal thing to think about, is it? I mean, of course, lots of people do have blue hair, but you the description of the clothes she was wearing was close with the the black shirt and the blue hair, amazing. And the fact, I I, I tell you what, I also liked. I liked the way that his uh, the mother of the three year old reacted. You know what I mean? I do, but it's yeah. that, that quote, I believe you, bud. You know what I mean? Yeah, Rather yeah, yeah. than just writing him off. I thought that was really good as yeah, well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And to the, for the sheriff's office to reach out, that seems unusual. Yeah, especially because they didn't approach the sheriff's office. They just no. posted it on social media and they, the sheriff's office. I guess you would have to cover it off to go, uh, has this family got something to do with it? Do you know what I mean? Because they seem to know detail that nobody else would know in that yeah. position. Um, I think it's even more compelling because they were on holiday, so it's not like they knew the story from local media or they would maybe have, you know, subconsciously it would have gone in because they live in the area. They were, they were visiting from out of town, so I thought that was an incredible story. Yeah, no, that's, that is amazing. So that's California, right? Yeah, yeah, California. Maybe what? I would go camping in California. <laughs> what, to see the ghosts? <laughs> well, you see, I was just, when you think of camping, when I think of camping, 
I think of the camping that I was taken on, which is basically Snowdonia National Park. Yeah, and and it's weather like today, where it's pouring with rain. And yeah, you're, you're you're looking out of your tent, going, I don't want to go out there. Every morning, <laughs> should we go up the mountain? And no. Mum comes back. No, we can't. It's closed because of fog. All oh, right, what should we do? Um, just go to the gift shop. Yeah, <laughs> the the worst one. We did something similar to that last year in Scotland, and just you know. Having a teenager going, there's no 4G, there's not even 3G, there's no G. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst of all the Gs. Yeah, it's all the Gs. Now, for those of you who actually like the idea of a ghoulish getaway, I I come across an article that lists the top five haunted holiday locations in Europe. According to uh, a website uh, called Le Boat, who are a holiday boating website. You see what they did there? <laughs> I, I probably, it's a good name. I would have guessed that. Yeah. I would have guessed that. Well, so, so basically, Ben, I guess this is actually the top five haunted holiday spots in Europe that have some, some kind of water attached to them, really. Uh, <laughs> I see. Yes, of course, yes, yes. Even though they didn't pitch it that way, I think it, it has. Now, there might be a few poor pronunciations, but it wouldn't be a quantum mechanics podcast without them, would it? Uh, no, no. If we if we ever get through a whole episode with correct <laughs> pronunciations, we will have to immediately stop the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's start with number five in the top five haunted holiday destinations. It's Drum Nad Rohi in Scotland. That sounded pretty good, actually. Yeah, I think I might have blagged that. Um, now, it's located on the northern shores of Loch Ness. It is said to be the place that the first ever recorded sighting of the Loch Ness Monster took place i know i know this place i've been there i've been there oh yeah it's really good it's very um uh what's the, what's the word atmospheric i mean nothing weird happened but it is it is an amazing place yeah so so it was the first reported sighting of the monster it was in 565 ad it was by an irish monk called saint Columa, um who saw the burial of a man who locals claimed was killed by a water beast while swimming now, while Loch Ness is over 22 miles or 37 kilometres long, Drum Nadrohi is considered to be the ba- the beast's home base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, that's, that, is that your experience? Yeah, that's why, that's why I went there. Um, well, it's partly why I went there. The other reason being um, it's got a colony of red squirrels oh. and uh, you could see red squirrels around there. But you also get a beautiful view of the lake and... It's just, I mean, the whole place is very pretty, but that place is particularly pretty. And I do remember we took a picnic there and I did see about three red squirrels. Oh, oh. well, that's number five. <clears throat> number four is Kloisterstrauss Monastery in Berlin, Germany. This is an old Franciscan monastery and it acquired its spooky reputation mainly due to the behaviour of one man, Father Roderick. Father Roderick was chased out of his hometown after having an affair with someone in the village and he took refuge in the 14th century monastery. This enforced exile didn't really suit Father Roderick and uh, as time passed, he became angry and bitter at his treatment. I think that's a bit poor considering, you know, he's got someone, you know, he's knocking about with somebody in the local village. Yeah. He would pick fights with anyone who turned up at the (laughs) monastery gates. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that does sound brilliant. <laughs> Grumpy old father Roderick. Uh, he became so annoyed with one such vis- visitor, he locked them in the monastery cellar. He later found out this stranger was actually his long-lost son. Or uh. conceived unbeknown to him by his lover in his hometown. In light of this news, he rushed to the cellar, but he was too late, and he found his son dead. How did he find out? Doesn't say in the story, to be honest. That's convenient, because that does rely on somebody else coming along and going, <laughs> you know that man you locked in your cellar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's your son. Yeah, yeah. That, that, there is a bit of a leap there of how he found out. Father Roderick was subsequently executed for the murder of his own son. It is said that Roderick still haunts the monastery, crippled by guilt and shame. And looking for a fight. Yeah. (laughs) So that's number four. Number three on the list of Europe's most haunted holiday destinations, with some kind of water feature attached, (laughs) (laughs) is Palazzo Mastelli in Venice, Italy. That's quite a big water feature. I've never been to Venice, have you? No, it's never really appealed... No, there's something about it that hasn't appealed to me. And when I say, I'm glad you said that, because whenever I say that to somebody, they always go, what's wrong with you? It's Felix. Why wouldn't you want to go? But no, I've never really fancied it. No, no. My parents went and um, they said it's just basically massive cruise ships and smelly canals and there's like three good bits and uh, you can't really see them because it's full of tourists. I think uh, on this occasion, maybe I'll just watch it on telly. Yeah. Well, that's not how Le Boat (laughs) describes it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's almost as if they have an agenda. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Venice, I would say, is high up the list, mainly due to the wealth of haunted locations this unique city possesses. And because it was in the Le Boat survey, possibly the amount of water that's involved in that city. (laughs) (laughs) There is Poviglia Island, which was used to isolate those suffering from the plague in the late 18th century. There are many haunted crypts with many tales of spectral sightings littered around the city. And there is this really weird tale of statues that are located in the square behind the Palazzo Mastelli Palace. There are statues of three wealthy merchants there from around the 1100 AD. Their names are Alfani, Ryoba and Sandy. Legend has it the three merchants were cursed by an elderly Venetian woman after selling her poor quality fabric for an extortionate price. The woman cursed the money she handed over to the merchants which resulted in the three men being turned into stone. Uh, Yeah, it's a good tale. I mean, I was thinking, Ben, if you think Karen's are bad now... That's nothing compared to the ones from 1100 AD, right? No, not really, no. No, I mean, it's not a terrible crime. Yeah. I mean, on the way here, I bought a very substandard sandwich that was worth about 50p, but I got charged £4.50. <laughs> but I didn't turn anyone to stone, and even if I had the power to, I still wouldn't have. Yeah, no, that seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? Number two on the list of haunted holiday destinations. For us, Ben, it would be a bit of a staycation, because it is Oxford Castle. Ah, now, there's a there's an escaping woman, I think, in this tale. Is that right? Uh, there's a couple of kind of spooky women coming up. Uh, the article says Oxford is perhaps well, best well known for being the home of the world's most prete- prestigious universities. That's easy for me to say. But locals know a much scarier side of the city, 
We do, don't we, Ben? Uh, I've I've also been to the Park End Club. <laughs> the famous Oxford Castle has been believed to be haunted for hundreds of years. There have been numerous reported sightings, but one of the most famous is the ghost of Mary Blandy. Was that who you were thinking of? Um, I can't remember. There's something about having to climb out of a window. Ah, uh, no. Mary was sentenced to death in 1752 for the poisoning of her father... Who has and she has been spotted multiple times since on the castle mounds by both staff and visitors. Another frequently spotted ghost is that of the Empress Matilda, who was actually declared as Britain's most seen ghost in 2009. I'm not sure where the source of that amazing. I was I was just going to say I wonder who's collating that. Um, they, they must have an award show like the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the, all these slightly transparent, <laughs> ghoulish things sitting in the front row with the camera close up? And the winner is. <laughs> it's the Empress. Yes. It's Empress Matilda. <laughs> Oxford is actually home to a variety of other haunted buildings, too, including the University's St John's College Library. Legend has it the library is haunted by the headless ghost of Archbishop William Lord, who, is, who was beheaded in 1645 for treason. So, do you want to hear the number one most haunted holiday destination in Europe? I, I do. The, uh, the only thing I was going to ask about is, because this is the boat, do they do river cruises? Because that's the only bit of water around here is a bit of a river. Yeah, I guess the canal bit of that. I, yeah. I mean, they, they, to be fair to them, they didn't claim that they'd chosen these places because of their watery associations. But coincidentally, all five of them do seem to have one. But I must confess, Oxford one is more of a kind of, you know, stream and uh and canal rather than canal like rather than a big waterway so yeah yeah you could get a barge on it yeah, yeah. yeah. um okay number one according to the boats palvis la flotte in france now this seaside town is one of the region's most picturesque and apparently a place where you can see the famous wild flamingos oh is this oh no i've been down the camargue yeah, oh, yes, I think it is, yes. Yes, yes, I've been down the Camargue to see flamingos, and don't laugh, I saw a beaver too. Yeah. I didn't realise France had flamingos, that's no, new to me. nor did I, I didn't know it had flamingos, beavers, but if you go down the Camargue, it's got those, and white bulls, and rice. Did, did you know about the flamingos before you saw them, or did you suddenly see a flamingo and went, oh my God, there's a flamingo? No, we purposefully went for the flamingos, oh. and... Um, and everything as well. It's very, very picturesque. But the main thing that I took away from it is if you go down, um, is it, is, I think it's called Saint Michel de la Mer. Might have got that wrong. Something like that. Um, and there's a little village down there, and people take their camper vans down there. And it, it, boy, the Germans do camper vans better than anyone else. You were talking about camping. These things are like articulated lorries. Right. They've got full-on kitchens, wet rooms. They're amazing. That's the main thing I took away from the Camargue, apart from the flamingos and a bag of rice. I think um, I think I remember seeing, I think it's Mercedes do a big recreational vehicle. It's so big that it's got a little two-seater sports car that fits underneath. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. But it isn't the bird life that has made haunted holiday makers twitchy. No. 
It's the Dame Blanche. Did you the, come across the Dame Blanche? The White Lady? The White Ladies. No. They are said to be one of the scariest beings in French folklore. These supernatural spirits appear as women dressed in white who hide near the roadside, often beneath bridges and ravines, and wait until they see a vehicle approaching. When passers-by approach, the Dame Blanche tries to get their attention and ask them for some sort of favour. Sometimes it's to hitchhike or to help her find her way. This is quite random. Sometimes it's simply just to dance. That is bizarre. The legend has it that if you help her, she will allow you to pass, but if you don't, she'll toss you into a ditch and leave you there. Although if you've got one of those big camper vans, maybe you won't mind. I mean, that's not the worst thing that could happen. No. While there are supposed sightings of these mythical beings throughout France, one of the most well-known instances occurred in Palais Val les Flottes. In 1981, a group claimed they picked up one of the women in white on the roadside in the town, and she asked them to take her to Montpellier. Sat in the back seat, she suddenly began screaming repeatedly, Watch out! Dangerous bend! But when the driver turned around, he claimed she vanished right in front of him. (laughs) Whilst he went round the dangerous bend, (laughs) facing the rear seat. (laughs) I'm getting out. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that reminds me of... um, Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but the I think it's the Indonesian, um, the white lady that goes around screaming for her children. Oh, yes, that sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of white ladies. Yeah, there is. It's a, it's, a, it's a real ghostly trope, isn't it? Well, there you have it, Ben. If you're looking for a haunted holiday destination combined with some boating, <laughs> there are five European <laughs> locations to check out. <laughs> I was thinking back to kind of, you know, old clubbing days. You know, you used to go to somewhere like Ibiza, you'd spend all night clubbing and then you'd spend all day either by the pool or uh, on the beach just sleeping and recovering. Yeah. You could almost do a kind of paranormal holiday version of that, all night ghost hunting, all day enjoying some water-based activity with the boat. <laughs> Sorry, we, the, we have not been sponsored, I, I just want to say. Is brought to you by... <laughs> no, it really isn't. And if you go to theboat.com forward slash TQMPod... You'll get a 5% discount on a haunted holiday. Ignore all that, we're joking. You'll get a 404 error, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that's a, that is a very, very good idea. I am, like, obsessed with... When you go to a place, there's always, like, a local legend. Yes. And... Normally, you, when you go somewhere and and there is a local legend, if you if you do one of those awful like eighteen thirties things, they'll sort of go oh and mind out because if you walk in back late at night, you might see the haunted the the haunted the headless haunted horseman or whatever, yeah. and you never do, you yeah. never do is but the, you you will be able to buy a model of it in the gift gift shop to take home with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, actually, the next story does tie into what you're saying. We're doing that thing. It's like you've seen my notes, Ben. Is it a headless horseman? It's not a headless horseman, oh. but it is a spooky story. A horseless headman. Yeah. It's a story of a family holiday in Europe. Uh, it's from uh, a book by Eve Evans, who I guess a bit like Ruth Roperwell kind of collates uh, true stories. Uh, the book is, if you're interested, I'm only going to take one story from it, uh, but there are lots in there. It's called Haunted on Vacation, Real Ghost Stories of Haunted Vacation Rentals. 
It's not the snappiest title, but it has got some good stories in that is quite it's quite a niche book, but yeah. I really admire the fact yeah. that you go, that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, yeah. I think she has written other books as well, but um uh I'll just say yeah. Apparitions seen in the back of Fiat Strada's <laughs> yeah. manufacture between nineteen eighty six and nineteen ninety one. No, no, nineteen eighty six and nineteen eighty nine. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. That's the you your lump your go for the box set, aren't you? Oh god, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna re- recount this story because it is a really good one. The uh, person it happened to says, Four years ago, when I was 12 years old, my family and I went on holiday vacation to Turkey. I feel they've used both words to cover both the European and the American market there. (laughs) I was eager to explore almost as soon as we arrived at our destination, but my parents told me we had to get settled into the hotel first before we could do anything. I was gutted, but we headed to the hotel to check in and put our things in the room. I went straight to my bedroom first, and as I walked in, the first thing I noticed was the teddy bear sitting on the end of my bed. I was confused, wondered what it was doing here, so I grabbed it and took it to show my mum. She smiled at me and told me a little girl must have forgotten it to take it home when she left. But somehow I didn't think that was true. I felt like someone had left it there specially for me. The next few days of the holiday were amazing. I was really enjoying spending time with my family and exploring some new places. But then one day something happened that changed that. I was in my bedroom reading a magazine when I heard someone giggle. It sounded close, but when I looked up to see if someone was at the door, the room was empty. Thinking that I must have imagined it, I went back to reading my magazine. But only a few seconds later, I heard it again. A child giggling. Dropping my magazine, I ran out of the room and found my mum, telling her that there was someone in my room. When I told her about the child giggling, she just laughed at me and said I was just imagining things, but I knew I wasn't. Later that day, when it was time for me to go to bed, I still couldn't forget about the giggle, and it was I was too scared to even sleep in that room in case I heard it again. Eventually, I managed to muster enough courage to go to bed, but I left the lights on just in case. I fell asleep, but not long after, I woke up again to the sound of a child laughing in my room. I immediately jumped out of bed and ran to my brother who was asleep next door. I shook him until he woke up. I told him what I'd heard. He just rolled back over and told me to go to sleep and stop being stupid. It was clear that nobody was going to believe me, even though I was really was telling the truth. There was no reason I'd make something like this up. For the rest of the holiday, nothing out of the ordinary happened. I was glad, but I was also confused about the child I'd been hearing. I wanted to know if it really was something more than just my imagination. One night, as we were coming back from dinner at a local restaurant, the manager of the hotel called me over. I was confused and worried about why he wanted to speak to me. But then he crouched down and gave me a warm smile and asked me if I liked the teddy bear in my room. Realising what he was talking about, I quickly nodded. He asked me to follow him. He took me into his office. I was still a little confused and uncertain at this point, but then he told me he wanted to share a story about something that happened over 150 years ago. Intrigued, I sat down and listened. He told me about a family of six who came to spend the weekend at the hotel. 
With them was a little girl who also carried around a little teddy bear wherever she went. One night something terrible happened. The little girl got sick during a stay and died in a sleep with the teddy bear in her arms. The manager told me that you can still occasionally hear her speaking and laughing and that she always leaves the teddy bear on the bed. Can I just pause? I'm, this manager at this hotel... I'll, weird, right? Well, I was just—I was going to wait and, and see whether there was a reason <laughs> no. for this because he just seems like this is the beginning of like a Scooby Doo cartoon where he's like trying to scare them out of yeah. the room to take their holiday insurance money or something. I don't yeah, know. No, there's no Scooby Doo ending where he kind of pulls the mask off and it's the hotel manager. He literally tells her this story. And and how old is she? Twelve. Yeah, that's like a one-star review from me. Yeah. According to the account, the girl didn't feel freaked out, she says. Yeah, she claims in the account she wasn't freaked out at all by this conversation, which, again, I feel slightly weird. Did you see the spooky teddy bear on your bed? Or has that person been talking to you? Anyway, she goes on to say, I was completely entranced by the story and thanked the manager for telling me about the girl. Now I finally knew the truth and that I wasn't going crazy after all. I rushed straight back to my room after that. Since it was our last night there, I was pretty upset since I didn't want to go home the day after. When it was time for me to go to bed, I kissed my parents goodnight and went to the room. When I saw the little bear sitting on the edge of the bed, I smiled and picked it up, hugging it tightly. It smelt faintly of honey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's our Labrador. Yeah. I sat on the edge of the bed and held the bear close to my heart, speaking quietly into its ear. Thank you very much for showing me your bear. He's very cute. I put the bear back down and tucked myself into bed. Just as I was about to fall asleep, I heard a child's voice somewhere close by saying, You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed spending time with him. I hope to see you again soon, my friend. No, we didn't. I remember smiling to myself, amazed that I'd actually got a response. You're a very special little girl, I whispered back. Just before I fell asleep, I heard her giggle. I woke up the next morning, not wanting to go home. I packed my suitcase and went into the room for the last time to pick up the teddy bear and kiss his forehead. I quietly wished the girl a nice life and told her that she would always have a friend in me. I heard her laugh for the last time, then left the room while we were leaving the hotel i saw the manager and rushed to him thank him once again for sharing the little girl's story with me he smiled telling me that he hoped to see us all again and waved me off in the next life (laughs) we all left the hotel feeling refreshed and happy which is unusual for the last day of vacation before we left the hotel completely i turned and waved to the window where my room was saying my last goodbye to the little girl that is far too long a conversation to have with a ghost. You think? No one apart from those Victorian weirdos has ever had that length of Doug. conversation. Are you casting doubt on this story, Ben? I mean, look, I sort of get it, but nobody gets into bed and goes, oh, you're a very special little girl, not at the age of 12. Yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. I mean, it seems like it's like very scripted. but It's, it's a little creepypasta-y, isn't it? It is, it is. But, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions. If that was the true story this author's picked up... That was the true story. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. But 
I'm with you. I'm not sure that if I was a hotelier, I don't think I'd be going, have you done the sheets? Yeah. Have you put the spooky teddy bear up? Oh, shit, no, I'll go and do it now. Well, there is that point, right? He's not... I mean, either that's a ghostly teddy bear or it's a real one. If it's a real one, they are deliberately leaving it in the room, right? They are deliberately leaving it. That's what what I took from it. I took from it that he's deliberately leaving it in the room because the girl's spirit is in there. And there's another point to that as well. If he's deliberately leaving it in the room, either it haunts every child who stays in that hotel room. Yes. Or if it doesn't, surely one of the children's going to take it home and say someone left their teddy bear behind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Unless he goes and buys a new one all the time and it's more... it's some kind of way of channeling the spirit. I don't know. Very and, strange. And toys don't usually smell of honey. Well, uh, Winnie the Pooh does. Does the just, just a smackerel? Does <laughs> my favourite fish? Yeah. What I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a good story, but um, it, you're right though. It's called, it's it's almost one of those too good stories. If I had to sum it up, I'd say mawkish. Mm, mm. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, from paranormal activity while on vacation to a holiday that was responsible for two of the greatest horror stories of all time. Oh, this doesn't sound like the steady bears in it. It is the bizarre true story of a summer getaway to Lake Geneva in June 1816. The holiday makers included Percy Shelley, John Palladori, Lord Byron and Mary Shelley. That is quite a group. It's quite a crowd, right? Now, just like any good ghost story, the events that took place on this summer holiday have been embellished over the years. I'm not sure why, Ben, because the basic facts are just intriguing enough. So I'm going to stick with those original basic facts and an article uh, from the Penguin Books website. I think it was it was published uh, to celebrate some anniversary of one of the famous books that came out of this holiday. Over the past couple of centuries, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein has spawned a creation myth as confused as the author's own monster. Academic debate has raged over the book's authorship, spurred on by a mixture of ingrained sexism, i.e. surely an 18-year-old girl could never have written such a book, and the company Shelley kept while writing it, that of poets Percy Shelley and Lord Byron. What's sometimes overlooked, though, is the bizarre combination of circumstances that led Mary to put pen to paper. Volcanic eruptions, latent desires, overambitious excursions, unscrupulous publishers all collided in what became the most productive and most unfortunate holiday in literary history. (laughs) This does sound brilliant. Two grandstanding poets packed their beach towels for a trip that resulted in two of literature's most enduring characters, neither of which were created by them. Like many holidays, the June 1816 jaunt to Lake Geneva was flawed for the start. Take the combination of the group's participants. Lord Byron was not so much on holiday than in exile, banishing himself from England because of incest allegations with his half-sister. His primary companion was John Palladori, a precocious doctor barely out of his teens who, unbeknownst to Byron, had accepted £500 from the poet's publisher to keep a diary of his adventures with the hope of securing the content for a racy bestseller. 
there's a bit of betrayal in there already. Mm. Mm. <laughs> this is amazing. The pair's travelling party was completed by a peacock, a monkey, and a dog. The usual, that's what I always take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, got your towel, factor 50, peacock. Yeah, got it. <laughs> monkey, check. Dog, check. I always just, I'm always baffled by which sort of monkey, but yeah. apart from that. Uh, Claire Claremont, who was Mary's stepsister, was in attendance and was keen to reignite their short-lived romance with Byron that had left her pregnant. This lot were joined by Percy Shelley on the run from his own wife, whose body was later found in the Serpentine in Hyde Park six months later. And he was with his 18-year-old Mary Wallenstonecraft Godwin, his mistress of two years. Neither Shelley had met Byron or Polydor before, but the poets were curious enough about one another to embark on holiday to Lake Geneva with complete strangers. Percy Shelley was something of a teen prodigy, having published his first collection of poems at 17, and by 1816 was riding high off Alastair, his most successful collection to date. As a radical thinker and proponent of free love, Shelley would have been known to Byron, who was four years older and had spent a long, glittering time in London celebrity circles. In the early 19th century, the Swiss city was a rather down-at-heel version of the slick international banking haven it would become, but the landscape was no less inspiring. Towering snow-capped peaks surround the still waters and the sprawling lake drew dozens of English tourists, much to the disgust of Byron, who called them staring boobies <laughs> in his correspondence. Claire, Percy and Mary, who would take Percy's surname once the pair were married, mere weeks after his first wife's death, had been to Switzerland before. This is nuts as well. Two years earlier, they'd sailed to France and walked to Switzerland, reading aloud on the way. They returned home six weeks later, skint, sore and utterly miserable. <laughs> yeah, I think I could have predicted that. As this trip, on this trip, due to poor weather, our Mary Fiveson were forced inside, swapping crystalline mountainscapes for increasingly claustrophobic gatherings inside Byron's villa. In an attempt to pass the time, they consumed plenty of wine and liquid opium, and to add to the general feeling of delirium, started to read creepy poems aloud to one another. Some volumes of ghost stories translated from German into French fell into our hands, Mary recorded 15 years later. It proved an intoxicating combination. Per Percy Shelley ended up shrieking out of the room after hallucinating that Mary's nipples had turned into <laughs> demonic eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, the japes continued... Byron set his friends a challenge to write a ghost story of their own. The results were unex unexpected. Byron, arguably the most accomplished and lauded writer of the bunch, rattled out a rather underwhelming vampire story. Percy Shelley, another poet of merit, swiftly abandoned the task after embarking on a story based on his childhood. After a slow start... Poor Palladori initially had some terrible ideas about a skull-headed lady, according to Mary. The Doctor, who wasn't a writer, managed to flex his creative writing skills in conjuring up The Vampira, a story that would later inspire Bram Stoker to create Dracula. Ah. Palladori's central character, the blood-sucking, philandering Lord Ruthven, bears a remarkable resemblance to Byron. 
But it was Mary's creation for which the trip is most famous. Roundly considered the birth of science fiction, Frankenstein emerged in fittingly gothic style. After listening to Percy Shelley and Byron's dissect the possibility of whether corpses could be reanimated, Mary, perhaps unsurprisingly, had a fitful night. Some interpret her diaries as her suffering from insomnia, other nightmares, in which she saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life. In either case, by the next storm-laden night, she had the story to read to the group. It was a dreary night of November that I endeavoured to infuse the spark of being into the lifeless thing that lay at my feet. Five days later, the two poets had seemingly abandoned the ghost story writing competition, preferring instead to indulge in an eight-day lads-on-tour getaway to Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) Complete with a near-death experience as their boat nearly sank during a stormy return journey. Mary, meanwhile, beetled along with Frankenstein, attracting the untoward attention of Polandori, who, having fallen out with both Shelley and Byron, developed the Vampira along with his unrequited love while nursing a sprained ankle. The trip produced a lot of work aside from the two horror stories. Percy Shelley wrote two of his best poems. Byron wrote the third canto of Child Harold, the narrative poem that made him a star. Claire gestated and gave birth to their daughter, Allegra, in January. Byron was a reluctant father, famously asking, is the brat mine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really what you want to do to somebody who's just given birth to your child. That is the spirit. Frankenstein, published title Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus, was birthed a year later with a preface by Percy Shelley. This is really interesting. Mary's name was taken off the, the book. And those critics who didn't know she wrote it were considerably kinder than those, than those who did. The mm. book proved diverse in reviews, but readers devoured it. And Frankenstein found its way onto the stage, a precursor to the film and television adaptations that have maintained Mary Shelley's legacy over time. Eventually, the Geneva gang went their separate ways. While there were future trips to Switzerland ostentation dramas and tragedies that surrounding its members continued to swirl in the years that followed. Within the first half of 1820s, the men were all dead. Palladori of self-inflicted cyanide poisoning in 1821, Percy Shelley a a year later while sailing in an Italian storm, and Byron in 1824 of sepsis caused by a bodged bloodletting in Greece. Oh, God. Mary suffered the debilitating loss of her children in two consecutive summers from 1818. It left her profoundly depressed and increasingly removed from her husband. As a result, the Frankenstein holiday remained one of the highlights in a life marred by suffering. Writing about it later, Mary reflected on the whole affair with fondness, stating her affection for Frankenstein, the offspring of happier days when I was not alone. Oh, that's really sad. Really sad. Yeah. Incredible. But what what really struck me is one holiday ends up with Frankenstein and the precursor to Dracula. Yes, I had no idea that's how she wrote it. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I just had her hold up her home, um, bashing it out on the table. But, um, wow. Yeah. 
that's quite a thing. That's probably... Um, although there's nothing supernatural happens to them, they are obsessed with the supernatural. You have to wonder whether that is because of the, the opium. Yeah, the opium. <laughs> I, w- I just want to make it clear. Neither me and Ben are on opium at this present moment. No, no. I only I only had something like that once in the hospital, and I'm not sure I'd do it again because it is very weird. It's yeah. a very weird substance. Yeah. Although you did write a nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I didn't did. You? I did. <laughs> and three episodes of Play School, but yeah. uh, they were never shown. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So, um, uh, well, I think I'm going to go and listen to Frank. Like, I think Frankenstein is one of the most accomplished like monster stories that anyone has ever conceived of. Yeah, and I think... Well, the article's right, but I never really think of it as a sci-fi tale, like the birth no. of sci-fi, but it makes complete sense. But you do think of it more as a horror, but it, yeah, it is. For the time, it was completely a sci-fi, right? Yeah, it is, especially as they start debating on whether it can be real or not. Yeah, yeah. No, I I love that. I love that. Thank you. Well, I, I hope that you uh, people enjoyed listening to that. If you did, my advice was would be have another listen to it when you're on your holidays as like, like like a little book that you take on holiday take this version of the podcast and have another listen and then um read if you haven't read the I'll original dracula yeah, or, or the or original Fr- both. fact both yeah the the original dracula is amazing i think you get it free on a kindle i think you yeah, used to they must be all out of copyright now you probably can get frankenstein yeah. as well oh you can i'm sure but um only read the first dracula because he wrote some follow-ups and they are awful because I got into it because because it came free on the Kindle. This is like ten years ago. I read it because I thought, oh, I just will because I'd never thought of buying it. I thought, blimey, that's good. And then I bought the second one because he made a lot of money off that first one. Right. And the second one is like, oh, oh no, I've got no ideas. Um, oh, I wonder if I could just sort of. He does. He does this weird thing with the story where you just kind of like. Uh no, you've blown it now. Right. Did he yeah. did he jump the shark? Well, I he just starts making it a lot more complicated. The first one is just so precise and yeah, yeah, yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And it has the perfect ending. It's like not many have the perfect ending. Yeah. And then as soon as he's like, Oh, there's money and then they're hills, it's kinda of like modern writers for um, you know, US television. Like, better not give it an ending because there's more money to come, right, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but you did make me think. We used to go on holiday to a haunted house. Oh, really? Yeah. Nothing. Um, uh, I, I didn't write any uh, classic novels. But, um, yeah, years ago, we used to go to um, a place called Solver. And I won't name the name of the house because you could still rent it out. And um, maybe the Airbnb owners would get upset with me. But we used to rent this big house in Solver in Wales um, in the February half term with my uncle's family. And you could hear at night, it's got two living rooms. And in one of the living rooms where we used to gather because it's got fire, you'd hear a child crying upstairs. And at the time we went, that he, my uncle had a baby. And every time we heard this running, this crying, someone would run upstairs and the baby would always be asleep. Or um, even more spookily, would often be asleep in a crib in the kitchen. Ooh. And so every two days we would hear the baby cry and we stayed there two or three times in that house and it never it never ceased it it always we always heard it that's amazing my uncle puts it down to like the next door neighbors but 
the thing is, the house is detached. Right. So that would have had to have been a very loud baby and to have persisted over three years. Babies don't cry for three years like that. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a ghost. Oh, I wonder if it's still crying today. Yeah, oh, maybe, maybe it's that bloke from the first story. Yeah, he's, he's put a teddy bear in since you last visited. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I meant the, um, the the woman who married him, and oh, he, he haunted her with a baby. That's it, maybe yeah. it is Eduardo's hanging out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, there you go. So if it, as, as it is holiday season, the kids have just broken up, I think. Yeah. Um, if you do find yourself somewhere haunted and you experience something or even if there's a great tale from there let us know on the socials please yes that'd be really good that'd be really good excellent well we'll be back next week with more quantum mechanics weirdness we will but before we go oh. let us let us remind you our social handles are so that it's on twitter it's at tqm podcast at tqm podcast on twitter and facebook YouTube, it's The Quantum Mechanics. And for Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash TQM pod. Yes, it is. Excellent. See you next week. See you next week. Take care. Bye. the quantum mechanics.